This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. Marshall Kellner here along with Matt Gallivan. Matt, how are you? Still stunned in pain in therapy from last week's loss. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was rough. We will get into that in a moment. Uh, we are guest free tonight, uh, so we will or today, whenever you're listening to this, uh, we will uh, we will keep it shorter this week, and then we should have another guest for you next week. Uh, Mike Wabshaw was terrific um, last week, and um, I think you know let, let's let's just start with uh, one thing he said because I want to start with something really good that's happening. And that's Kirk Cousins right now. Kirk Cousins has been spectacular to start the season, especially in the Arizona game. And funny when he's not in third and 15, third and 20 all the time, he looks pretty good. And when the O-line isn't shooting us in the foot with, with penalties and Wabi said something really, really interesting last week. And that was the burning house analogy. And when that, when the house is burning, you know, Kirk might not be the guy to run in there and, and, and rescue everybody. But when the house is good, Kirk's good. He can do everything around the house. And I thought that was just a great analogy because you saw what happened last week against Arizona. The offensive line had a really good game. We were so worried about Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt coming into the game. They had a plan for those guys. I mean, Jones had a few pressures. He might have gotten credit with with uh, one sack when Kirk had to run back to the line, but the O-line was, was good. Um, KJ Osborne, which I'll get to in a second was, was really good. Obviously, you know, they hit KJ on the second play of the game for that long uh, 63 yard touchdown. And, uh, and Kirk was just making cold blooded throw after cold blooded throw down the stretch to get him into a position to win the game. He's been, he's been great. Yeah. He, there were still people, despite his performance against the Bengals, when he had a great game, uh, given the offensive line's terrible performance, wasn't a perfect game, but essentially marches them back to tie it, to go to OT, has them marching down the field to win an OT, and then obviously the, the fake fumble you know, ends up stopping them and resulting in the loss, but there were still a bunch of people who went out there and criticized him and said, this just shows he doesn't know how to lead a team. And what does he do the next week? He says, fine, just wait until I actually am protected when we actually aren't shooting ourselves in the foot with penalties, when Clint Kubiak actually can call the game he wants to and Dalvin gets some running lanes and he has a fantastic game. And once again, does everything you'd ask for him in leading the team down uh, the field to win. You just, Kirk is doing everything right. And even the haters after week two had to say, this isn't Kirk's fault. This, this is yeah. not Kirk is not the problem with this team. And there've been, there were lots of positives to take from that game. You, you, you watching it, you sat there and said, this is a game they're winning. They should win. Um, and it just, it, they, if not for obviously a couple of missed kicks uh, at the end there. And I don't want to put it all in Greg Joseph because it's not all on him. Uh, obviously, some some key defensive stops when Kyler Murray, you know, in broken down plays makes amazing, um, you know, plays that that 
end up resulting in some scores, uh, you know, so those things could easily go the other way and, and you win and you, you could, you maybe could have won by a decent margin, uh, but he just made the plays they needed to, to keep him in the game. And then our, our, uh, we had a few plays that we just didn't. Yeah. How about, how about, uh, you mentioned Clint Kubiak. How about his play calling on that final drive? Brilliant. I mean, Arizona was coming after, uh, Kirk with some, with some blitzes, and Kubiak would throw a screen, have a little draw to get uh, to, to Dalvin. And then some RPOs, the last two plays, to get into, into what seemed like, sure, field goal range was, were, were RPOs to K.J. Osborne. And, uh, and, and Kirk delivered them right on the money, made the right decision. But those play calls were, were fantastic by Clint Kubiak. You mentioned Kyler Murray, who was, I mean, he's, He's, he's really special, but I think there still could be, I don't know. I, I didn't really get the feeling that they're ready to take the, the next step that, you know, people were hyping them up all week. Kyler has, uh, has some decision-making issues. I mean, that, that pass that Nick Vigil, and it was a great play by Nick Vigil, but it was a bad decision by, by Kyler. And then another bad decision on the bomb in the middle of the field that Xavier Woods just easily intercepted. And then, this, this play, I mean, the Joseph kick, it should have been made. I mean, we don't need to, to dwell on it now, but 37-yard field goal, that's a 90-percenter in the NFL. That should be made. But it may not have even come to that if two other plays were made by the Vikings, one offensively, one defensively. The Jefferson drop, what may have been pass interference, but a pass that he normally would catch, uh, yep. Certainly, we saw him last year. Perfect throw by Kirk. Another one, maybe his best throw of the game, honestly. JJ catches that with over a minute to go inside the 20, and you pretty much have a ball, the ball game there. Um, but you, you mentioned Kyler Murray, and I thought of this. How about the fourth down when Zimmer dials up a perfect middle blitz with Harrison Smith? Now, Zimmer said for some reason this week that, that he would like to have that play call back, but I thought it was. I thought it was good. Harrison got through on the middle blitz, forced Kyler to throw it off his back foot, and Christian Kirk was open because he beat Mackenzie Alexander on the inside. And listening to the radio broadcast um, over the TV during the game, Pete Bursich said, "You you just cannot get beat on the inside there in that situation." And Mackenzie Alexander did. Kyler just hoisted it up. It was a good play, but hoisted it up carelessly off his back foot. And, you know, got rewarded because of a breakdown defensively. Too many big plays given up by the Vikings defense. And that, that was the biggest one. It, it was. Um, there was also the, the long touchdown pass. Uh, he was running around, yeah. uh, you know, a bunch. So, I mean, I will say two of those big plays, you know, the long touchdown uh, pass was on a broken play. The fourth down, I mean, as you talked about, yes, they, there are things the Vikings could have done differently, like Alexander not letting Kirk get to the inside. But, I mean, you got to sometimes also tip your hat. I mean, how Murray makes the perfect throw there with Harrison Smith in his face, I agree it was a great defensive call. Sometimes that stuff is going to happen. There still are too many big plays. The defensive backs, while Rhodes um, – or Woods, excuse me, continues to play well. You know, it was nice to see Danzler out there playing. 
Um, Peterson didn't seem to have the, you know, as good a, a second game as he did a first game. And Breland continu- continues to struggle. The, the, they got to do some stuff in the secondary because of all the big plays. But, I mean, the best sign as a Vikings fan that you, that you can you, – you were looking for in this game is how nice was it to have Daniil Hunter back sacking the quarterback? Yeah, that was awesome. I do disagree uh, on Peterson a little bit. He get he he lost DeAndre Hopkins early in the game. Uh, Hopkins didn't have a catch after the first six minutes of the game, so Patrick Peterson was was not picked on. I mean, they're they're picking. I was I was surprised they weren't picking on Breland more early than they started to. Um, and and he's been he's been uh, limited in practice this week with a with a back injury. But yeah, to to your point, Dantzler came in, and, and of course, Daniel Hunter. Um, I mean, how about that one sack where he's chasing Tyler, and it looks like looks like he hits a button on his on his on his body to make his arm extend ten feet, grabs him with one hand, and then just hops on his back and slams him down. I mean, then there was another where he came up the middle and, and Tyler just, Tyler just went down. He didn't want to get hit by, um, Daniel, Daniel's back. And, and we were wondering, Oh, maybe he's not great without his hand on the ground. It doesn't matter. I mean, the guy, the guy's just, just nasty. I'm excited to see if Anthony Barr comes back in this, you know, he might go because they might want to keep Nick vigil on the situ on the field in nickel situations. So, uh, they may go to something like a three-three-five sometimes to keep three linebackers out there in in nickel, and then you mix and match with three down linemen. Um, maybe Barr does some more some more rushing off the edge, like people have been clamoring for. But I think Vigil's been playing well. But but Barr and even in the run game, especially the pass game. But I think Barr brings just a different dimension, especially in the run game. Uh, when, once once he's out there, and uh, he would be huge to have back this week with Russell Wilson uh, coming in town. Uh, Bar Bar is a guy you can you can put as a spy on him. You can make sure Russell doesn't doesn't break uh, the pocket too many times. So um, I think having Bar back uh, would be would be big. But but uh, Vigil's playing well. So you saw some things defensively, especially in the second half. It tightened up a little bit uh, for both teams. Uh, both teams struggled to move the ball. And uh, the Vikings figured some, some things out uh, with regard to uh, containing Kyler Murray in that second half. It, what's so frustrating is if you take away that last kick, if you just for a second assume you make the kick and you win the game, you'd be pointing out all of the positives of this game. You know, there was a lot in terms of the offensive line playing better with Hunter emerging, with Vigil stepping up and, and uh, being a free uh, great free agent signing um, or acquisition. The, there, there was so much to like about How about the downhill the, running with Dalvin. I, I mean, the, you they, found weren't the messing around. they weren't messing around uh, with combo blocks this time. They were just getting out and running downhill on Arizona on a small Arizona front for the most part. And they just, they couldn't stop Dalvin until they started putting five, six guys on the line in the second half. Yeah, it, 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 it was, there was a lot to like, but then the Vikings tradition of losing a heartbreakers kicked in. And you know what, if you're picking at the teams that you want to follow up a heartbreaking loss to, to play after 
Seattle's in, in my, you know, one of the top three teams I don't want to face, given our history with Russell Wilson and his propensity to snatch victories out of the jaws of defeat, uh, you know, against the Vikings. Yeah. Now, there, it is good that you just played another mobile, you know, quarterback. You, you are, you're going to be prepared to scheme that, to spy on him, to try and prevent um, those big plays from Russell Wilson using his legs that he's so good at. You've, you've got a similar situation with athletic uh, wide receivers, uh, you know, with uh, Hopkins and Kirk versus DK Metcalf. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot on the defensive side that you can take and clean up um, against Seattle, um, you know, in light of what you learned from the Arizona experience. Um, and, and so we, we're really going to need to clean those things up. The special teams is going to have to execute until those missed kicks. They were making great plays. <laughs> the special teams has been a strength, believe it or not. And Joseph what, made two 52 yard field goals in that game. For, for a game in, yeah, for a game in three quarters, special teams was a strength. Um, yeah. So what, what do you see as the other, what do you see as the key to winning this must win game for the Vikings? Oh, well, I think being at home is a huge factor. I mean, they, they haven't had a crowd at home in, in you know, over 600 days. Um, and, wow. and they have one of the best home field advantages in the NFL. I mean, that place, we were worried when they moved there that it might not be as loud as the Metrodome. Um, it is. It's really loud. Um, the atmosphere is terrific. I talked, you know, when we first started the show, you know, it'd be great to come back 2-0 and and the place would just be rocking. But let's be honest, it's going to be rocking anyway. Um, would have been great to even be one and one and get that momentum off uh, off Arizona, but yeah, I, I I agree with you. Russell, I think is seven and zero against the Vikings, um, including that that uh, playoff game. Which I mean, yeah, there were two plays in that game: miss kick by Walsh, two really big plays. The the miss kick by Walsh, and then and then that play where Russell uh, dropped the snap and it it went be, it was a bad snap. It went behind him. He fell on it and Captain Munderland took a bad angle and went for to went for Russell instead of the ball. And uh, and and Russell was able to roll out and, and uh, find Tyler Lockett for a big play, leading to the only touchdown of the game. Um, yep. and, but, but how about last year? I mean, last year, too, they had the Vikings at a fourth down to win the game. And Alex, I didn't think they should have gone for it. Uh, they oh, I- field goal, they're up eight. But but. They had a perfect play call. Alexander Madison missed the hole. He hits that hole. He walks in for a touchdown. They win the game. So, sure, you might not agree with the call to go, but you know people are always clamoring for Zim to be more aggressive. He was in that in that uh, instance, and and they had the perfect play on. It just was not executed. So, I, you know, and then glad. and then Seattle gets a fourth down with with Cam Dantzler, you know, bungling the coverage on on DK Metcalf. Um, so that game just, I mean, it finally looked like we were going to win in Seattle. And, and again, you know, the, the, uh, mythical Seattle, uh, football guy, you know, that, that 12th man uh, comes out and, and bites us. But I think being at home is, is just massive and the desperation factor matters. And I think this team looked a lot better week two than week one. Uh, they cleaned up a lot of the stuff. I think at home, as long as you can, you know, contain the, the excitement, don't get, don't get too hyped up but uh but yeah i think being at home is a, a huge huge factor in this game i unlike you i liked that call last year against seattle 
it, uh, it uh, is not unlike the John Harbaugh decision uh, that was so wonderful this year where it's, you know, tr- trust your team and its biggest strength, um, you know, to, to go out and execute. But yeah, I, I, I think being at home is really going to help pick this team up. I, I think Kirk has to continue doing what he's doing and not turn the ball over because even, you know, when he's had turnovers in the past that aren't really his fault, that, that seems to suck the energy. It sucks the energy out of energy team, but in particular, this, you know, this Vikings team and this Vikings offense, they, they seem to struggle to recover from turnovers um, and it takes them multiple drives to get back from it. So I think they, um, you know, Dalvin's health um, and how effective he's going to be, I think is a huge factor because we, we, they have to have the run established to take the pressure off of Kirk having to do everything. Um, you know, it, it sounds cliche, but it, it's going to be, can they establish the run to relieve the pressure uh, uh, from Kirk and not having to, you know, get into a, a shootout. And can that defense get pressure on Russell Wilson and contain him? If they do that, I actually like their chances this week. And, you yeah. know, so what, what is your pick for this week? Uh, I, I, I know you're always. It's tough to do picks, but. I just, I just think they, they win. The, the desperation factor is huge. Let's be honest. You, you do not want to go to zero and three with Kevin Stefanski and that squad rolling in here next week. Uh, you, you have three straight home games. You have to win two of them, and and this has to be one of them. I mean, period. And and ideally, you you want to win all three. I mean, you're playing Seattle, Cleveland, and, and Detroit. I know it's tough. Um, I know coming into the season, we really thought they had to win one or or both of those first two road games because of these tough home games but ultimately like you're you're at home you have to take care of business if you're a serious team cleveland's better than seattle so you you drop to seattle cleveland's gonna come come in here looking dagger your season and stefanski who would like nothing more so that this is this is critical i think the desperation factor uh is is um real it might be with Seattle too, because they just lost a tough home one to, to Tennessee in overtime. But I think the home, the home crowd uh, makes a, makes a big, big difference in this game and they, they find a way to win. Um, I don't know what, I don't know what I'll say on, on score. I think they'll continue to score. I mean, they're, they're just scoring a ton of points, maybe 34. Eh, yeah. Thir- no, thir- 31, 27. So I uh, believe it or not, I'm going to take the Vikings to win. I with they are desperate, and but I think if Zimmer can calm them appropriately, what you say is, listen, our division's turning out to not be very good. If we take care of business at home, and we take care of business against the division, this 0-2 start not going to be the end of the world. Not going to be the biggest deal. Um, you know, but you got to take care of business at home, and so it starts with this game. Uh, I'm going to go that the offense continues to click. uh, And so I'm going to say the Vikings 35, Seattle uh, 24. Wow, a big win. Nice. I like that. I think desperation comes through and Kirk continues to play well and put the team on his back. One other other thing we were texting about this um, after the game. And you, you thought at first maybe they should get closer. Um, for that, it, because they did have about uh, 30, 45 seconds there 
to to uh, to get closer if they wanted to. They were on the 19 yard line. It was a 37 yard uh, yard field goal. I thought it was the right move. I mean, I, I think most coaches in the NFL at that point, your kicker has made two 52 yard field goals in the game. He made a 53 yarder last week to uh, to force overtime. Yeah, he missed an extra point, but that happens. Um, I, I thought it, I thought it was the right move because you never know what could happen. You know, fumbled snap. We saw last week a fumble that wasn't really a fumble and they, they called it wrong on the field. And then, and then they didn't, they didn't reverse it. So uh, you just never know if, if you keep going there and say an interception happens, which I don't think was likely they were, they were rolling pretty well, but I think it was, you know, when they got that last play to Osborne, I thought it's, it's the ball game. Um, so I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a problem with it, but some, some people did. So, I totally get your point. Uh, the odds of making that kick are about 90% in the NFL, the not real, but called real fumble um, from last week would be exhibit a for why you don't run more plays. But the way I look at it is, is that Osborne play was deflating to Arizona and Kirk was playing so well. The offensive line was playing so well. The run game had been great. And you still got a kicker who, while he's made some kicks this year, he's missed an extra point in the game. He hasn't played, you know, consistently for two years. Uh, go run some more plays. You got them on their heels. The energy's all in your, in your direction. And, I, I mean, I'm not saying you have to go and punch it in for a touchdown, but, like, the team's fired up. Read your team on the field and don't just default in that case to – you know, the odds are that we make a field goal here, you know, just read the energy and say, okay, we're just going to go on a couple more plays. We're going to be smart with it. You, you tell Kirk, do not, do not throw an unnecessarily risky throw here and running backs just hold on to the football. And I think you can do that and you might score a touchdown or you might get it so that it is truly a chip shot. Um, I don't see the point of running down a minute and not making it at least a little easier or taking advantage of the energy. Yeah, I, I, I could see it both ways. I think, I think it was the right move. If the JJ ball was caught, then maybe it's a different story because that was with much more time on the clock, well over a minute. And then I think at that point you go for the dagger, but uh, Hey, it's a moot point now because Yep. The, kick, uh, the kick was missed and now they are in desperation mode. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Hopefully we're talking about a win uh, next week. You, uh, you wanted to, uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about the very surprising news. We're recording this on a Thursday and yesterday, uh, Gerson Rosas let go. I'll let you, uh, I'll let you tee that one up. Uh, some, some Timberwolves news here about a week before their training camp opens. Yeah, we haven't talked about the T-Pups very much. Um, not a lot of uh, reason to talk about them with it being the offseason and with them being the just dysfunctional franchise that they are. And, uh, yeah, all the Minnesota Timberwolves fans, I would say, were shocked yesterday. Apparently, Carl Anthony Towns was shocked yesterday, uh, which is never a good a good thing when your star player that you want to make sure stays here uh, is shocked about a big uh, move in a, in a negative way. Um, but all the insiders seem to not be shocked about this. It's clear that uh, there were some 
um, personal issues. There were some management issues. There was some dissension issues um, about moves the team should make. And you, you can't excuse what it sounds like is a, a very sort of hostile environment that Rosas maybe was running. Um, but really, this comes down to just a continued pattern of, uh, of mismanagement by Glenn Taylor. I mean, going back to, you know, it's personnel decisions that were bad. It was hiring decisions um, on the, um, you know, management side that were bad, coaching and GM. Otherwise, it was the Joe Smith fiasco. You know, look, it's great that the team has stayed in Minnesota and we're thankful to him for that. Um, but the ownership change can't happen soon enough because it's very clear that they there's just dysfunction under this current ownership. And uh, I think that this probably, even if Rosas was a barrier to trading for Ben Simmons, which the team desperately needs from an energy perspective, um, this I don't know why you would try and deal with the Timberwolves right now and trust you know trust them in a negotiation with this complete dysfunction. What do you think? Yeah, I was really surprised uh, when I saw the news yesterday. Uh, yeah, that that was it was a shocker. But then I, I read the, the piece in the Athletic by John uh, Krasinski co-wrote it with somebody else, Shams, and I can't pronounce his last name or remember it right now, but a big NBA reporter. And it was very well done, very well reported. And, uh, you know, Krasinski just does an awesome job covering the Wolves and seemed like this had been brewing for months. I mean, kept kept quiet, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's really too bad because one of the reasons they let Tom Thibodeau go was because of how hostile the, the environment was and how tough he was to work for. Um, and, and, you know, he was a decent coach, but not the greatest GM either. Um, and for, for them to bring in, they brought in Rosas and he preaches this, this family culture, but apparently that uh, was not felt by a lot of people inside the organization. Now it did say in that article too, there, there were some people who had Rosas's back. It wasn't like a, a unanimous thing or anything, but um, a lot of some someone came from him with Houston and said he isn't who I thought he was. Um, you know, someone was quoted in that, um, and I mean other other opposing opposing uh, front offices were saying you know it's tough to work with the Wolves. Um, some of it seems like a little bit COVID related because. You know, it's hard to develop that camaraderie in a front office when you're probably working remotely a lot of the time and and all that. But uh, it didn't seem like a very good situation and seemed pretty much untenable. But for that to happen a week before training camp is just mind boggling. Glenn Taylor drove up from Mankato, I guess, to to uh, meet with Rosas and give him the news. Sometimes he's um, had other people do that kind of thing for him. Uh, So that was notable. Um, that was a, that was a good nugget in the article, but, uh, but yeah, I think how did Carl Anthony Towns not know about it before it gets released to the media? I mean, what is Glenn Taylor doing? Like, well, that's, and that's the part he's that's, a good, he's a good man. Uh, definitely a good guy. And he's no done doubt. a lot for, for Minnesota, very, uh, huge humanitarian, uh, lots of charity contributions, but, uh, it's, it's, it's been a debacle, uh, to put it kindly. Uh, it, it's, I mean, they're like the laughing stack of the league, pretty much. Um, if you were Carl Anthony, despite all the good players they have now, with Edwards and Towns leading the way. If you're 
I mean, it sheds light. I mean, even down to like the the issues between Glenn and KG, um, you know, the most iconic player in the franchise and all the, I mean, that that's just a disaster there. I mean, if you're Carl Anthony Towns, how is this not the last straw where you sit there and say, I, I don't care that there's the new ownership coming in. Like, what does A-Rod really know about basketball? How does that give me any confidence? They, they were already shopping for a new GM, apparently, you know, really interested in Elton Brand, I guess, you know, before they've even taken over. Like, it just, it seems like a hot mess. And so if you're Carl Anthony Towns, at what point, I mean, do you not sit there and say, D'Lo's my boy, but I want out. Yeah, I will, I will say, like, let's see who takes over. Um, definitely, let's, let's withhold judgment on that. But I, I'm all, I also feel really bad for Chris Finch. Um, now it was a weird situation when Ryan Saunders got let go last year, uh, you know, right after, a, a, a road game, uh, the timing didn't seem, didn't seem great. Uh, but Finch came in and did a very good job. Um, was, was, uh, was, got, got high marks and, um, well, and Finch was you know, Rosas's guy, you know, I know. From, so, oh, Rosas didn't want to hire Ryan Saunders as, is what I've always heard. And that that was clearly a well, and, and and a clearly that, that it was time. It, it clearly it was time for Ryan Saunders to to go. He wasn't he wasn't ready to be an NBA head coach, and he probably no. wouldn't have got this opportunity with another NBA team. Let's let's be honest. Um, no. And hopefully, he gets another opportunity down the road. But uh, you know, I feel bad for Chris Finch because now what where what situation does this put him in? Even if he's a great coach, which by all accounts, he may turn out to be and may already be. New GM is going to want his guy. So how long is, is Chris Finch on borrowed time? Um, very yeah. well could be. It's just uh, – and, and the players know that. The, the, players, the players know how, how uh, crazy this situation is. And to be dealing with that a week before training camp, and now they're going to have to – you know, apparently they're announcing or they're introducing uh, Mark Laurie and A-Rod on Monday in a press conference. Then they're going to – then they're going to uh, uh, have have media day, and you know all the questions will be about Gerson Rosas and this whole situation. Uh, Chris Finch will be getting all kinds of questions. Just not the kind of atmosphere you want with uh, with training camp starting and a team that's that's trying to to make a make a push for for the playoffs this year. That's not that's not what you want. So for I, I would leave it with this: for all the tortured issues our teams have out there in the Minnesota teams you know the the Vikings always just lose in the worst possible way the twins can't win a playoff game the state of hockey can't win uh you know and, and Stanley Cup uh although shout out to getting Kaprizov uh resigned uh but no none of our our sports teams are as dysfunctional as the Timberwolves they they make the other uh, the other teams look like they are at the top of, of each of their respective leaves, leagues. That's how big a gap there is. Um, and, and the Timberwolves just, it's going to take another decade plus to try and write the ship <laughs> disaster, in my opinion, because I think this thing is just going to implode on itself. I hope you're wrong there because Anthony Edwards is, is sure fun to watch. Um, so no doubt. hopefully he can, he can, uh, move this thing, move this thing forward, but a lot of work to do. Um, and we will, uh, we will be done for this week and, uh, we will talk to you 
next week uh, with a with a guest and hopefully be talking about a Minnesota Vikings uh, victory. Enjoy the game on Sunday and uh, we will talk to you next time. See ya.